Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Today we're going to continue our series on James. James was the Lord's brother. He was a man of prayer and faith. He was leader of the Jerusalem church. And he wrote this letter to show us what genuine faith looks like in everyday life. Maybe you've heard this saying. I'm certain you have. See if you can finish it. Don't judge a book by its cover. That's right. We've all heard that. Um, I'm reminded of the verse in uh, the Old Testament. You remember when uh, God called Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons to be the next king. And of course, he went to Jesse and announced why he was there. And of course, you know, Jesse being a dad and having a bunch of sons, he was curious and he said, well, let me get them all together. And the oldest came out and, and uh, Samuel thought, oh man, that's got to be him. And the Lord said, nope, that's not him. And just one after another went through the line of sons and gets to the end and none of them are him. And the prophet actually has to ask, Jesse, the father, hey, you got any more sons? Well, yeah, I've got the runt, David. He's out, you know, tending sheep. Well, bring him in. And of course, as soon as David is brought in, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, don't look at the appearance or the stature because I've rejected this one, but humans don't see what the Lord sees. You know, man sees what was visible, but God sees the heart. And David was the young boy that had a heart after God. And so we, we learn from that story that we've heard as, 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 you know, for years in church that God looks at the heart. Man, man judges a book by its cover, but God looks at the heart. He knows all things. And today we're going to talk about the folly of favoritism. The folly of favoritism. Um, I heard a story one time about Gandhi, the leader in India. In his autobiography, he wrote that during his days as a uh, student, he read the Gospels, and he read them seriously, and he actually considered becoming a Christian. He, as he read the teachings of Jesus, he thought he had found the solution to the caste system that was dividing all the people in India into classes. And so one Sunday, he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. But when he entered the, the sanctuary, uh, the usher refused to give him a seat and said, why don't you go worship with your own people? And as you can imagine, Gandhi left the church that day, never returned, and he said, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. And that's Gandhi. Today we're going to talk about a sin that is a dirty little secret in the kingdom of God today. It exists and it's fashionable but it's still wrong, and that is the folly of favoritism. In James chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I like what Brother Ironside said. He said to profess, to profess faith in, in the one who, although he's Lord of glory, he came to earth so poor that he had no place to lay his head and yet to respect people in this way is most inconsistent. And that is true. To show favoritism 
to some over others is inconsistent with the gospel, inconsistent with uh, Jesus Christ himself. There's no place for favoritism in the heart of God, in the heart of his people, and certainly in the church. You know, if you're, if you're honest and you look around today, you see favoritism everywhere, in school, in sports, in business, and sometimes you see it in the church. And there should be no place for it in the church. Now, before we dive into this, let's kind of back up and ask the big question, okay? And the big question is, does God show favoritism? Some of you might think, thinking, well, I wonder if he does. Does God have his favorites? I mean, we do know that Israel was God's chosen special people, right? Does that qualify? Well, I want to give you a few, I want to give you a sample of some scriptures here for a moment. And let's look and see whether or not God is partial to one person over another and if God shows favoritism. First of all, there's Romans chapter 2. Paul is writing to the people at Rome in Romans chapter 2 verse 9. Look at what he says. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Okay, That's one way to divide people, right? Uh, But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For there is no favoritism with God. Now Paul is writing to the Romans, a bunch of Gentiles that have a Jewish presence in their city. And he's saying, I'm here to tell you that whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, it makes no difference, okay? God doesn't pay attention to demographics like we do in society today. Today in society, if you want to do some research, uh, you're going to ask all kinds of questions and gather your data, and then you're going to compare that data to the breakdown of the demographics. Here's what the older ones think. Here's what the younger ones think. Here's what this particular ethnic group thinks. This is what that one thinks, and we got all this extrapolation of data. But in the kingdom of God, when we look at what God's Word says about people, there's two kinds of people. There's those who know the Lord and those who don't. And he's saying whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it makes no difference. There is no favoritism with God. Wow. Right out the gate, Paul says that to the Roman believers in his second chapter of his letter. But as if that's not all, let's, let's go a little bit further. What, what, about, what about when God used Peter to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel? You'll remember the story in Acts chapter 10. We're going to go to Acts 10, 34. But to tell the story to lead up to it, you know, remember Peter? He had a vision um, from God about things to eat that he normally wouldn't eat, and he was disturbed by this vision. And then there's people that come to him, and they're knocking on the door, and they want to meet Simon Peter and have them come with him. And the Holy Spirit tells Peter, he says, I want you to go with these men. Meanwhile, Peter's trying to understand the meaning of this vision he's just had. The the Spirit of God is telling him, go with these men, and he's trying to put it all together and make it make sense. And the next thing you know... Here is Peter, a Jewish person, going inside the home of a Gentile person, and that's just something they didn't do. And uh, when he gets there, he meets Cornelius, 
a God-fearing man. He meets his family, and he meets all these people that have gathered to hear what Peter has to say. And here's what Peter says when he begins to speak to them. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter began to speak, and here's what he says right out the gate. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Now think about Peter and how he grew up being one of God's chosen people, being a Hebrew, being a Jewish person, and yet Jesus comes and He says, I want you to make disciples of what? All nations. I want you to you know, be my witness not only in Jerusalem, but Samaria and Judea and the ends of the earth. And here is Peter probably struggling with the way he was raised and the things he saw, and he's trying to live this kosher life. And next thing you know, he's been led to go to the home of a Gentile, and he's trying to put it all together, and the light bulb comes on, and he says, I get it now. God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person that fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. What about economics? I mean, today, if we look at society, you know, we've got, you know, middle class, working class, we've got, you know, other classes, and we can all be divided based on income and what we have and what we don't have. Well, think about in Bible times, slavery existed, and the, the gospel never set to necessarily change slavery. The, the, the mission of the gospel was to change the hearts of people. And when heart, the hearts of people changed, then the whole slavery system changed. And so here in the New Testament, there are writings where God's word applies to everybody. It applies to those that are slaves and those that are masters. If you, if you enter that world, if you enter that dynamic, then surely when you see those that have and those that have not, surely there's got to be some favoritism, right? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, here's what we see, God's word to those that are slaves and those that are masters. In Ephesians 6, verse 6, uh, it says, Don't work only while being watched. Now, this is the word to those who find themselves as slaves. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord, not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours in heaven And there is no favoritism with Him. Wow. There's a word from God talking to people who are slaves and masters. And it says, if you're a slave, I want you to do what you do unto the Lord and not unto men. Don't don't try to find yourself, you know, when the master's around doing what you're supposed to be doing to win his eye and his favor. You need to make sure you're doing what I want you to do when no one else sees. So do what you do as unto the Lord, not unto the not unto man. Do it from the heart, and then you'll receive a reward from the Lord. And masters, by the way, don't, don't leverage your position to be harsh with them, but know that you have a master in heaven as well. 
and there's no favoritism. Uh, the, the rest of that would be in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you'll receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. All this points to a judgment day is someday when we all stand before God and we all will be held accountable to God. And when we all stand before God, there's not going to be any favoritism. God is going to be that perfect, impartial judge. Well, James makes it clear that we shouldn't show favoritism as we hold on to our faith and the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This Lord of glory stepped out of heaven, became man, became one of us, humbled himself, experienced a humiliating death of shame on the cross, and yet he says no favoritism. Look, if you will, in James chapter 2, verse 2. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes, and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, James is saying when we receive two different kinds of people, two different kinds of ways, in, in our meetings, in our worship services, then we're showing preference of one over another, and he says that is wrong. So I want to talk to you about how favoritism is foolish, and it's foolish for three reasons. Number one, it has no place in the Christian life. He says there in verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him, and yet you have dishonored the poor? Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? You know, um, James knows the reality of what's going in their church, and he says, look, you know, you're looking down your nose at poor people, but they are the ones that are rich in faith. They are the ones that are depending on God uh, because they can't depend on anyone else, and God shows himself faithful. Uh, matter of fact, uh, look at what he says in the previous chapter, James 1 verse 9. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with a scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. You see, the rich person thinks that they've got it all taken care of. They have whatever they need. All they have to do is draw money out of the account. They have that network. They have those resources. And it's real easy when you can do it yourself to say, I got this, God. I don't need you today. Whereas the person who is poor has to be rich in faith because they come to God to depend on Him. And what they find over time is God has everything they need. And they learn to trust Him and depend on Him. And God shows Himself faithful. And so James is saying, look, when you have these uh, different kinds of differences in your congregation and you show preferential treatment 
of one over the other, he says that's wrong. He says it's out of place. It doesn't have any place in the Christian life. Look at James 2 verse 8. He says, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. You can tell it's that time of year again, right? When the seasons change. Now I can keep going, Devin. Round two, let's go, right? But uh, the second thing I want you to see is that favoritism is foolish because it's a sin and it breaks God's law. Now let's be honest about it. Some sins are more fashionable than others. If someone's a liar, if someone's an adulterer, if someone's a thief, um, we, uh, if, if someone's a murderer, obviously we're going to be like, ooh, you know, I haven't done that. And the tendency is for us to go, well, I haven't done that. But when it comes to favoritism, I think we have all done that. That's why Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Everybody can love people that are like them. But I'm telling you to love your enemies. And all of a sudden, Jesus turns that inside out because none of us can love our enemies unless we're loving God and we're, loving, uh, we're, we're using the love of God in our heart to love people no matter what. And so it's a sin to break God's law. One person said those who discriminate, they're not partial lawbreakers. They stand wholly condemned by God. And that's true. You know, I can remember being a kid... I was about, I guess I was in third grade at the time, and I'd found a rock in our driveway. We had a concrete driveway, and I wanted to get rid of it, and I was going to throw it over there into the field. And I got ready to throw it, and as soon as it came out, it just came out wrong. You know what I'm talking about? It just came out wrong, and you know what happened, right? It hit the windshield of our truck in the driveway, and I'm like, You know what's awful about being an only child growing up? There is nobody else to point the finger at. There is nobody. It's like, who did it? Me. And uh, yeah, I survived the experience. But it's funny how you can look at that windshield and go, well, I didn't. I just cracked it. It didn't like, you know, it didn't break. I mean, there weren't pieces to pick up. It's just, just cracked. But let's be realistic. It's broke. And now the whole thing's got to come out. And you know, that's the way we try to rationalize sin. We're like, well, you know, I don't do this and this and this and this. And this is just a crack. You don't even notice it. But that crack breaks that windshield. And the whole thing's got to be replaced. And that's what we need to see when it comes to God's holy law. It only takes one sin to prove that we're a sinner. And every sinner is going to be judged by 
God. There's another reason why favoritism is foolish, and it's because it leads to judgment rather than mercy. Look, if you will, in verse 12 and 13. James says, Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. Interesting that he calls it the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, that's really a picture of what the gospel is. I like the way that Paul put it in Romans 8. It puts it in a way that I can explain it better. Romans 8, 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And that's so true. You know, the the law of sin and death shows that I have sinned, and therefore I'm a sinner, and sin produces death, and so I'm getting what I deserve. But because Jesus Christ came, because He lived that perfect sinless life, He he, he, He lived the life that you and I should have lived, He died the death that you and I deserve, He took our place on that cross, He purchased our salvation, He paid for our sin in full, and now, If we come to Him, there is no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. An evangelist used to say years ago that the law of God can chase a man to Calvary, but no further. You see, the law shows us how sinful we really are. It shows us that we are a sinner, and we're going to be judged by God's holy law, and we deserve judgment. But when we come to the foot of a bloodstained cross, when we come to Jesus Christ, we can receive mercy. And once we come to Christ and He is in our life and we are now in Him, there is now no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. And that's why it's the law of freedom. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. See, that's the thing. Well, we can, we can live our lives, and I'm convinced there are some people in life that live all their lives from school to sports to workplace to you name it, and they always get their way. They always get, they're always the favorite. They always get a pass. They always get the preferential treatment. And yet, what does God say? God says there's no, there's no favorites. One of these days, there's going to be a lot of people in the world that are going to stand before God and they're going to think, God, you remember that time I went on Easter? Lord, do you remember that time when I did this? Do you remember that time I did that? There's going to be no favorites. He's going to look at every person the same. He's going to judge them based on His Word and His law. Again, go back to James 2.10. It says, For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking it all. Adrian Rogers told a a story. He says, um, Imagine a man was dangling over a fire by a chain of ten links. And nine of those links were made of forged galvanized steel. And one of those links was made of plastic. Over time, what do you think would happen? that weak link would ultimately give way to the weight and the pressure and the resistance of it all. 
You know, so many people are thinking and hoping and praying that God's going to grade on a curve. And they fail to realize, um, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not that bad. I, I, I'm not like so-and-so. I don't do this, 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 and this. I just do this. And yet, God doesn't grade on a curve. He has standards of righteousness and holiness and perfection. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. And even if we break just one, we broke the whole thing. It only takes one infraction to be a lawbreaker. And then we all stand guilty before God. Today, I want to implore you as much as I can to ask God to examine your heart, to make sure that you don't have any favoritism in you that skews your view of God, that you come to Him just as you are and you acknowledge everything that you've done and you plead and ask for His mercy and forgiveness. And when we do that, He will forgive us. He will pardon us. But if we go through life playing favorites with this one and that one in the hopes that someday it'll all come back to our good. God says, I don't play by those rules. God is an impartial God. He is perfect, holy, and righteous in all that He does and all that He says. And He says on Judgment Day, there'll be those that know me and love me and those that don't. And so it's my prayer today that God will speak to us and He'll have His will and His way in us. Let's pray. Let's all stand. Father, we come before you. As the musicians come, as the ushers come, Father, we just pray for your will to be done in our lives. Lord, have your will and your way in each one of us. Father, forgive us when we have played games of favoritism. And Lord, help us to do what is right in your eyes, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences. May we seek to please you in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsomerset.com.